asked uh, a lot of you, and we have a bit of an update this morning of just kind of maybe next steps from steering committee. So that will be taking place in the gym at 10.50. So um, if you'd like an update on kind of where things are, are moving and where we're going, that would be great. And I am going to invite Eric up for scripture. So the first scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The second scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with that I teach everywhere in the church, in every church. So this morning, we are wrapping up uh, our series in the month of April on the people we love. And by the people we love, of course, we mean the people who drive us crazy, because they're often the same people. Last week, we talked about marriage, and I started off with a bit of a disclaimer, saying, like, I get that not everyone uh, in our community is at the same stage of life, so marriage might have been something that really wasn't a part of your life, but there's still things that, that we can learn from it together as a community. In a similar way, many of us don't have typical nuclear families, and so some of the, the things that we're going to talk about this morning around parenting and children, you may think, well, that doesn't really apply to me. We, of course, have single-parent families in our community, blended families, families who are not able to have children and those who choose not to have children, families where tragedy has taken away part of the family. And I just want to acknowledge that while this may be a little unsettling for some, again, uh, as in last week, there is an invitation for all of us here. This morning will have a lot to do with parents and children. We're going to be talking about children, a survival guide. But try not to tune out the parts that you don't think apply. There might just be something there for you after all. And then hopefully, by the end of the morning, we'll all leave with a better idea of what it means for us to be part of the big sprawling family that we call the church. So big news in the world of parenting this week. Of course, the birth of baby Louie, right? Like this is really exciting stuff. No? Okay, well, for some of you. And I was looking at this picture of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and their perfect little smiles and their perfect little babies, and I was like, that's great. But I think this next picture is a better depiction of what new parenting really looks like, right? Like, look at the look on that child's face. It's like, I'm in control, right? So Now, they have two children already, so they know that this is reality, but they put on a good face. That's fine. I was thinking back to the beginning of my parenting, and it was a bit of a harrowing night, to be honest, being a new parent. Um, Melissa had, uh, after hours of labor, had an emergency C-section, and so she was heavily medicated. And so when the nurse came up to me, I had to make, like, our first parenting decision. And the nurse came up and said, because, you know, your little one isn't able to feed, um, we're wondering if we can give him formula. And I looked at the nurse and said, what is formula? 
And she tried to explain it, and, and I said, just do whatever is best for my baby. And she said, I'm sorry, Dad, you have to make the decision. I'm like, I can't. I don't even know what we're talking about here. And luckily at that moment, dear friends of ours who had just had their first child eight months earlier walked down the, the hall of the hospital, and I said, tell me, should I give formula? Is this a good thing to do? Or am I going to hurt my baby? And she's like, yes, of course, do it. So... So it was wonderful for me to have that piece of advice at that moment where I needed it. But one of the things that I think I quickly learned as a parent is that advice is actually one of the most annoying things for a parent, right? It, it, it begins at the beginning and then it keeps on going. So at the beginning, I drew up a little chart here for us. At the beginning, you start getting advice about your baby's sleep. Well, you should do this or whatever you do, don't do that. And then eventually your baby survives and it's like, well, don't feed your toddler this or maybe you should give him this to eat. And then it's your child's activities when they're in school school. Well, he's got to get involved in this, or you should never let her do this. It's all about their activities and their belonging. When they get to be teens, it's all about their screen time. Well, don't, whatever you do, don't let your child look at a screen. And then they become a young adult, and then people start giving you all kinds of advice about their life choices and how you should do a better job parenting there. And then when, when you're older, your adult child starts parenting their children, and then people are giving you advice that you should give to your adult child about how they should help their baby sleep. And it's just like this cycle, and it just keeps going around like a cyclone. Now, some advice is just plain common sense and needs to be heated. I've got a few examples to share with you this morning if you're not sure. So we got right here. Next slide. Washing the baby. Good, bad. Okay, so here's just some practical advice we got for you this morning. Next one. Here we got lifting the baby. Do, don't, okay? We're trying to help. We're trying to help this morning. Buckling up the baby, right and wrong. And we got one more here. Drying the baby, yes and no. But I think after a number of years of parenting and getting all of this advice thrown my way and having my own experience, this, I really, all the advice that I have boils down to one thing. Do whatever it takes to survive. That is my advice to all parents. Do whatever it takes to survive. Because parenting isn't easy. And as hard as you try, you're going to make mistakes. I think one of my worst parenting moments came when that little baby who I decided to give formula to on day one uh, broke his collarbone at a, in a, playing soccer at school. And Owen was maybe nine years old, and he had broken his collarbone. We had taken him to the hospital, and he was, uh, we were tucking him in bed at night. And I had this thing that I, that I did every night. When I would tuck him into bed, I would, like, jump on him and give him a big body slam. And I forgot that he had broken his collarbone. And so I went, ah, and I jumped. And when I was, like, midair like this... I remembered, but it was too late because of gravity, and I landed on him, and he, like, screamed in pain, and I, like, slunk out of the room, listening to my child's howling cries, thinking, I am the worst parent there has ever been. Oh, awful. I'll never forget that moment. Because as much as it hurt Owen physically, I'm convinced that it pained me even more to know that I had hurt my child. And I share this story because I think it's a near-perfect illustration of what we fear most as parents, that in trying our best, we will somehow fail the children entrusted to us. Now, on the count of three, I'm going to ask every parent who feels or has felt overwhelmed with the task of parenting to breathe a good, loud sigh of relief. I want to let your neighbors hear you. One, two, three. Doesn't that feel good? Now, despite my hesitancy to give too much advice, every parent wrestles with the challenge of parenting well, of raising a child who will not only survive, 
but will thrive into adulthood. And so we do go looking for advice. And if there's one passage from the Bible that every church-going parent knows, it's Proverbs 22.6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. I think every parent wrestles with the questions about how our children will turn out. And this proverb gives us the formula that if you just train them right, they will turn out right. Isn't it great to have advice like that? I say sarcastically. Because this is actually a really heavy piece of advice in Scripture. But just to alleviate a little bit of the pressure that you may have felt from this verse or that you may be feeling in the current stage of parenting if you're in it right now, I want to ask the question, how did this work out for the author of the proverb? Sometimes we just like read a verse from the Bible and we're like, oh man, I guess if I do that. Well, Solomon wrote this proverb. How did his kids turn out? Well, let's take a look at Rehoboam who became the king after him and reigned for 17 years, his reign was characterized as continual warfare. His people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them. And so before we take a verse like this and, and crumple under its guilt of their where we're, whether we're doing the right things that will have our kids turn out the right way in the end, remember that the person who wrote this couldn't raise a healthy kid. This is something that I've come to think about as the myth of the straight line. And the self-doubt about parenting and the guilt that we carry can be overwhelming, thinking that if we do all of the right things now, then everything will turn out right down the end. But that's not how life works. A fear of failure can steal away the joy of parenting. But I think there's something even a little more sinister that's revealed if we're willing to pull back the curtain. So a number of years ago, when maybe my youngest son, Jude, was about the same age as Owen was when he broke his collarbone, uh, we took Jude and a bunch of friends to a birthday party at Laser Quest. You know, it's not cheap. We're spending a lot of money. We've got, we came from there back to our house, big party. I'm thinking, this is a great party we're throwing for our kid here. And so I was waiting around, and when they came out of the Laser Quest, there's Jude and his friend there, and... Um, and when he came out of... It's not Jude at all. It's just some other kid. Um, when they came out of the thing, he's mad as a hatter. I'm like, what? This isn't the emotion I was expecting after a, a fun afternoon of Laser Quest. Well, apparently, he didn't turn his gun on, or, as he said, his gun was broken. And he couldn't get it fixed until the very end of the thing. And so when they, they print out the list of, like, everyone's name, his was at the very bottom. On his birthday, he came last. And the thought that came to my mind at that moment was, oh, my goodness, all that he will remember about this amazing birthday party is that his gun was broken. And I had this thought. It revealed to me the dark underbelly of parenting, which is that we live with a fear of how our parenting will be interpreted. We live with a fear of how our parenting is going to be interpreted by the others around us, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, but we also live with this fear of how our, our children will interpret our parenting in the future. When they grow up, what will they think when they look back on how we have raised them? If our greatest fear is failing, then I think our next to greatest fear is being seen as failures. And if self-doubt and guilt can steal away the joy of raising children, then so can our pride. But there's this verse in 1 John 4:18 that I think applies a little more than the proverb even. There is no fear in love. 
but perfect love drives out fear. And I just want to encourage all of us who are in this wild journey of parenting to get rid of the fear that we feel of doing the wrong thing or being looked at as doing the wrong thing by others, including our own kids, and to replace it instead by by love. So rather than striving to be perfect in our parenting, let's just be present because that's about the most perfect kind of love there is. And as far as the future goes, as far as how these kids are going to turn out, I came up with this, I found this great line from a, a Catholic priest, Father Andrew Greeley. He says, God draws straight with crooked lines. Isn't that beautiful? God, God draws straight with crooked lines. God is able to take even our worst failures and make something good out of it. So a couple of weeks ago, someone sent me an article. It was on the satirical website, the Babylon Bee, and the headline was this, Desperate for Sermon Illustration, Local Pastor Spends Time with His Kids. The article reads like this, Frustrated and left with nothing to lose, Peterson asked his two children if they wanted to go outside and throw a ball or whatever in hopes that the quality time would yield nuggets of wisdom or pithy observations he could use to pad out his 25-minute Sunday sermon. Now, as you've already learned, I have no shortage of illustrations. This is why we put our children in sports in that. It's for illustrations for me. It's, it's not about their health or teamwork or leadership or exercise. It's, it's for sermon illustrations. But despite the little observations of my own, a theme like this raises some really important questions about how we ought to read the Bible. After all, how much parenting advice is there in the Bible? And does the context that it was written in matter to us? I mean, consider that in the first century, schooling would not have been a significant part of a child's development, replaced instead by working from a young age, or even starting a family. I mean, for our youth girls who are here this morning, how would you like to come home to find that your parents had found you a husband? You're 15? Forget going to the mall. You're having a baby. That's the way they rolled in the first century Middle East. So when we think about these parenting rules, we've got to wonder, well, okay, how do we translate this for us, right? But even with cultural distance, there are some gems for us to mine from the Bible's pages. Our first reading from Ephesians 6 is one of those. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Now, this commandment is the one other Bible verse that most every parent knows. If you know the one about training the child and the way he should go, you also know the one that says, honor your father and mother. At least you know the first part. The second part may be replaced by any number of reasons why it is important for a child to honor his or her father and mother. So you might remind them of something like this, you know, honor your father and mother or you won't get any dessert. Like that's how we finish out that Bible verse, right? Or maybe honor your father and mother or I'll take away your phone. Or the worst of all, honor your father and mother or I'll tag you in that ugly photo from when you were 11. But the command wasn't issued as a threat. That's not how it was supposed to be used. It was linked to a long and fulfilling life that a, a child honoring his or her mother and father leads to a long life. And then there's this wonderful balance that Paul brings into the conversation. The very next verse, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So it's like, kids, you got to honor your parents here. But before you just stop there, let's remember that parents, you got a role here too. you got to understand where your kids are at and do something that's not going to drive them up the wall. The New Living Translation says, Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. There's some good advice for parents as well. 
Eugene Peterson writes about uh, conflict and how we live in in a culture uh, of competition. He says that competition is bred into us from the cradle, uh, and he says there are many settings in which this competitive spirit brings out the best in us, but there are just as many, maybe more, when it brings out the worst. And the one setting in which it often brings out the very worst of us is in the family. If family members are in competition with one another, husbands and wives, and parents and children, brothers and sisters, intimacy is insidiously undermined. We can achieve maturity in families only by being subject to one another, but it doesn't come easy. Competitive skills are far easier to come by than submission skills. Maturity is an art form. The household is the primary setting in which we acquire it. Those are profound words. Now, having lived through adolescence myself, I know just how important it is for kids to develop a sense of individuality during the teenage years. Some of the things that families really struggle with, where competition rears its ugly head, is when that adolescent needs to strive for separation from his or her parents, when they need to strike out and and begin to live independently. And there's a lot of tension that can rise during that stage, but that's a normal part of development. But here's the kicker for those adolescents who are in the midst of that transition right now. The evidence of real maturity isn't that separation or that independence. That's that's part of it. But real maturity comes with the relationship that you develop with your parents on the other side of the separation, on the other side of the independence. A child growing up and just being completely independent from his or her parents, that's immaturity. You haven't grown up at all if that's where you end up. But if you walk through that place of separation and independence and end up in a place where you have a closer relationship with your parents, that's a sign of maturity. So we need to keep that in mind. For some parents, this is a struggle. It starts when we're young. The phrase out there these days is helicopter parenting, right? Where you have parents watching every move of their young child's life. But then they start watching every move of their slightly older child's life, and they're paying attention to everything that's going on. And again, the cycle continues, because when their child has a child, they watch how their children are parenting that younger child, and everyone's just watching each other and making sure that everyone is safe and no one ever makes any mistakes. Now, this is as good of a space as any for me to remind us about the importance of paying attention to our children and protecting them when we can. A few weeks ago, we talked about a product that we have uh, for sale in our lobby called Kids Wi-Fi, a way that we can come around our children and provide a safe environment for them in the home. And so these things are important. It is important to to protect and, and to safeguard our kids, absolutely. But when we're paying attention to everything that they're doing and we're involved in every aspect of their lives all the time, that's not actually creating a healthy environment. We were talking about this as a staff, on, uh, staff team on Monday, and Graham reminded me of this illustration that I'd heard a long time ago, and he'd read recently about uh, uh, hatching a chick. And this illustration that if you try to help a chick break out of its egg, that it actually doesn't develop the strength that it needs to survive. And so I thought, well, I've got to find out if this is true. So I went to um, mypetchicken.com, a reputable website about how to raise pet chickens, and I found just a couple of pieces of advice here. Now listen and tell me if this doesn't sound a lot like parenting, but of course this is just about chicks breaking out of eggs. It is very easy to cause the chick to bleed to death when you try helping him out of the shell. You don't want that to happen and feel that responsibility. Later it says, what you want to do isn't always what you should do, 
Even though we do understand that helping is a difficult temptation for a compassionate person. Ah, oh, nuggets of wisdom from mypetchicken.com. And so a while ago, I was having a conversation with some parents in our church community uh, about, uh, they were talking about how, like, I, so someone said something like, oh my gosh, like, you just have so much freedom, the age your kids are now, and I have, like, no freedom in my life at all. And as we were having this conversation, I realized something. There's a balance that you strike in parenting, and it's a balance between freedom and control. And for the parent who's, like, has newborns, who's raising young kids, this is what your, look, your schedule looks like. You have, like, basically no freedom at all, but you have a lot of control. You basically control everything that happens to this child. You control when they eat, you control where they are, how they get from place A to B. Like you have all of this control over their lives, right? But you don't have any freedom. You just want to get out for crying out loud. But then what happens is that this flips sometime as the teenage years of parenting come in and all of a sudden you have all the freedom in the world. You don't even need a babysitter anymore. You just go, but you have like no control. And you realize you don't really get to determine what they wear out of the house anymore, for example, just like off the top of my head or you know, who they hang out with or whatever. Like, you lose this control, right? And so I was thinking about this. Like, so do you just deal with this? Do you just, like, say, well, uh, I guess this is just the way it is? Or is there a way to strike balance? And I think there's a way to strike balance. I think for the, in the first situation, if we add presence into the scenario, I think this helps with a lack of freedom. When you feel like you have no freedom, to try to Try to just be present in the moment and realize that this frustrating moment you're in is not going to last forever. So last week, Melissa was reading a book, um, and she found a bookmark in it with a photo of myself and Owen on my shoulders. Now, if any of you have seen my six-foot-four, 17-year-old son this morning, you realize the kind of emotion that that's going to like well up in me when I see this and realize, oh my gosh, what has happened? Like, those years disappear so quickly. And I think if we can try in those years where you have no freedom to just be present, I think that's the best we can do. Paulo Coelho writes that if you pay attention to the present, what comes later will also be better. Each day in itself brings with it an eternity. And then on the other side, what happens when you have all the freedom in the world but very little control? I think you replace control with, with influence. You can't control a person anymore, but you can influence them in positive, way, positive ways. A couple weeks ago, I took our kids thrift store shopping, and uh, Sophie was trying on some stuff and some shorts, and she said, Dad, these ones don't fit. Go back to the rack. There's a pair there. It's like near the end. It's whatever size. Can you grab it for me? So I went and grabbed this pair of shorts. I'm like, okay, and I brought it to her, and she's like, those aren't the ones I asked for. I'm like, whatever. She's like, well, I'll try them on anyway. And then she comes out of the change room. She's like, I kind of like these shorts. That's right. My 15-year-old daughter bought the shorts that I picked out for her at the thrift store. So no, I can't control what they wear out of the house, but I can still have influence. <laughs> I've shared with you my lowest moment as a parent, and I have now shared with you my highest moment as a parent. <laughs> so Paul wrote, writes in Colossians, very similar to what he wrote in, in the other passage, uh, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. There's a give and take in these instructions, a balance that parents and children work together to create in order for everyone in the home to thrive. So the children who are here, whether you're in grade school or high school or adulthood, here's a question. What are you doing to be a source of joy for your parents? And for the parents who are here, what are you doing to be a source of joy for your children? There's this great passage in Deuteronomy 11, verse 18 to 21, I'm going to read for you. 
Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This is Moses talking to the people not long after he gave those Ten Commandments. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. I'm going to invite Helen to come on up, and she's going to conduct an interview of a couple of our community's younger members and how they are working along with their parents and members of our church community to bring joy. So just as a little background, once a month, a team from Elevation goes to Supportive Housing of Waterloo. It's a, an apartment building on Herb Street that houses formerly homeless people. Um, we sit around tables. We bring food. Sometimes we cook with them. We talk. We play games. This is not a predictable environment. The folks that show uh, live with a variety of mental illness and addiction issues, and sometimes the environment there can be quite unsettling. We, we never really know what we're walking into. But these folks have become our friends. One of the unique pieces of what we do at show is that we have children involved. And so I'm going to invite... Uh, Maya Flat and Arwen Rowe to come up and join me up here. Maya and Arwen are nine and ten years old. You guys can come stand up here. And they've been, we've been going to show for about seven years, and these guys have been coming for over five years. So the people at show saw Emmett being born, and um, the tenants at show often, or most of them, would not have any opportunity to engage with children in their worlds because... Um, Obviously, their lifestyle, but many of their families have stepped away from them. They adore the flat and row kids. Um, they just, if they're not there, the tenants are always like, where are the kids? We're like, we're here. Um, anyway, um, so one thing I want to say is that I've been really impressed with how the kids have engaged this opportunity. They don't come and hide behind their parents. Um, maybe when they're younger, they're holding onto their legs a little bit. But I've seen these guys, both the girls and the rest of the kids, engage with the tenants. They interact with them. They serve them. They're not uncomfortable around them. And it's really been quite an amazing thing to see. The tenants love them. They embrace them. They hug them. And we're really delighted that you guys are part of this. So I do have a couple of questions for you. Um, the first one is, and I'm going to ask both of you to answer this, starting with Maya. What do you like about going to show? Um, I like hanging out with the tenants there and playing games with them. Um, I like seeing them smile because we're there and making them happy and just hanging out with them. So is there anything that makes you a bit nervous or uncomfortable when you're at show? Can you think of something that you feel like is a little bit off sometimes when we're there? Not really. Sometimes there's new people and I, that I haven't met yet, so that makes me a bit nervous. But And I think each of you have one of the tenants in mind that you want to tell us about. Um, I like Melanie because she's kind. Um, I like someone named Rena because she's kind of like a grandmother. She bought me a coat from a thrift store a few years ago, so... Mm -hmm. What did Rena do on Saturday? Um, she went out and bought all the kids some ice cream treats, so that was really nice. 
And that's a real sacrifice for um, any of the tenants to go and spend money like that. Um, so one final question that I want to ask you is, why do you think we go there? Why are, why are we doing this? Um, I think we go there to hang out with the tenants and make them feel happy. Um, the same as Maya. Thanks, you guys. You can head up to Kids Quest if you want. So um, just a couple final words. We do recognize that this isn't for every family. Um, it's worked really well, and I, I really have um, appreciated Rob and Sarah and Grandma Melissa allowing their children, encouraging their children to be in this environment. Show has approached us with um, the possibility for expanded opportunities in the future, so if it's something that interests you, whether you have children or not, you can chat with me later. Thanks. So I think that what we've just he heard here, these stories of parents and children serving with one another and with members of the church community, it provides a segue into this final little bit that I want to chat about. The second reading this morning, it came from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, and he was talking to, he says some very interesting things to us. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, this passage may not be as known as the Ten Commandments, but my goodness, what a powerful vision it casts. It asks us to think about the relationships that we have with the people in a church community as the same way that we think about the relationships we have in our biological family. Paul goes on to introduce Timothy to the church as my son whom I love. I think about this line from N.T. Wright. He says, all fathers labor under the burden that our children are likely to imagine God in our image. That's a lot of burden for parents to carry. But as a parent, I think about the value of having youth leaders in our kids' lives. Last night, Sophia slept over at one of our youth leaders' home with a bunch of the girls and female leaders, and they just had a great time together. Like, that is so important to parents that I'm not the only one in our church raising my kid, that other people are taking part in doing that as well. It is such a gift. And so how can the church be a place where we understand a family isn't bounded by our genetics, but it's actually core to our identity as the people of God? When we have a child up here and we have a, a child dedication, this is the thing that we say that is the family and church family of the child. Will you commit yourselves to love this child, to set for her an example of what it means to follow Jesus? Will you promise to care for her as a valuable member of our church family and help create an environment at elevation in which she can grow in life and faith? This is what we're committing to, but not only for one another's kids, but for each and every one of us. I urge you to imitate me, Paul said. Timothy will remind you of my way of life in Christ. There's value in learning from those who are a little further down the journey than we are. Now, we need to be careful, of course. Some of the things that we can learn from those who have been before us might not be so good. I mean, heck, when I was a kid, my parents would throw me in the trunk of our Volvo station wagon and let me and my friends roll around in the back like a bunch of spilled groceries. So, be careful who you ask for advice. I'm kidding. I had a wonderful childhood. But seriously, it's important to ask. It's important to ask for help. And so, in a healthy community of faith, we shouldn't feel alone in our parenting. And so, one of the things that we're going to do, uh, we're a little short for discussion time this morning, but we're actually uh, have sheets on the discussion table and at the welcome table in the lobby where we're going to invite you, if you're interested in having more conversation with other parents at different stages of life than you are at, uh, we're going to get together some different contexts in the weeks to come where we can talk about this topic further.
So I just want to close with a quote from Audrey Assad, singer and songwriter. Um, she tweeted this out a couple weeks ago. A friend of mine sent it my way. She writes, the more I mother, the better I love God. Because God is a better mother to me than I could ever be to anyone. And yet I feel I am living, moving, and having my being in God when I mother. It's beautiful, crucifying work. So here's my prayer. That in our mothering and fathering, whether in the home or in the church, may we come to love God more. In our growing up as children, whether in the home or in the church, may we honor God in all that we do. And for all of us, whether we're parents or children, at home or in the church, may our days be many, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. At this point, I'm going to invite you to make your way through the lobby and into the gym for some discussion. Um, we have a bit of a shorter discussion time this morning um, before we kind of share a bit of an update a little later, a little closer to 11 o'clock. So I'd invite you to make your way down there. Um, and uh, if you'd like to engage in some conversation out in the lobby, you're welcome to do that as well. If you would like someone to pray with you, if something this morning has struck a chord, uh, remember what Graham mentioned earlier, that there will be some people in the front couple of pews just lingering for the next 10 minutes or so, willing to pray with anyone who would like. So if you want to make your way into the gym for some discussion, our time together will formally wrap up at about 11 o'clock. Thanks.